It's gonna hey be the, it's gonna be the the the, the theme music. I we think tried to do a coordinated effort, but as you can see, um, Stephen Campbell doesn't have no rhythm because you know guilty feet and all. Um, so. <laughs> Wait, guilty feet? I've got guilty. I've, I've already you don't got know that. Oh my god! Please tell me you know the phrase "guilty feet ain't got no rhythm." Please tell me you know that phrase and where it's from. Uh, I, I, I don't say ain't all that. No, so I'm never gonna dance again. Guilty oh, okay. feet ain't got no rhythm. Okay, there we go. All right. Welcome, welcome it. to the Nonprofits Podcast. We're starting off with hot ass tracks. What? Wicked, hey. wicked, 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 wicked. Yeah. Sorry. Mm, that was that was whiter than anything I would have done. You know what? Fair. <laughs> I have a lot of caucasity. Um, I feel like it's my reparation. Uh, I can. <laughs> Uh, act and perform uh, as many Caucasian tasks as I choose um, in the places where I see fit. And like like what? Back. Like what would be a caucastic uh, thing oh. you can do? Oh my goodness. Day? Like the time I got stopped by the police for speeding, rightfully so, 100% I was speeding. At the same time, I had a dental appointment I needed to get to and I had to get back for meetings. It was very important. So I'm doing maybe 50 and a 25. I get okay. stopped by the cop. My first word out of my mouth is, can you hurry it up? I got, a doctor's, I got a doctor's appointment to get to. I have a great driving record. Just run my freaking name and let me be on my way with a warning. Can we just I would that? never, I wouldn't even try to pull that. Well, see, this is a lesson that I've learned from having so many white friends. If you just act like you're supposed to do that shit, people think you're supposed to do that shit. It's amazing. If you just act like you're supposed to be there, they don't know that you're not LeBron James's friend and that you're not supposed to be at the NBA party. They don't know that. <laughs> my my, my privilege thing that I would that I didn't realize was a privilege thing that I got out of trouble with all the time was I would just go like, why would I do that? Like I would just like I would like what like that would why would anybody ever do that? It's like that's what we're asking you. It's like I'm asking you right back. Why would I ever, I had this one time where in, in geometry class, we had a weekly or like daily uh, warmups. And so I didn't do any of them. And then on Friday, I just drew a dick on five different pieces of paper and then, them and then turned them in. And then I forgot all about it. Right. You, you know, you do some shit and you forget. And then uh, two weeks later, I get called to the principal's office and he's, and he's like, Steven, I'm sure you know why you're here. It's like, I no idea. Clue. Yeah. And so he, he slips the packet of penises over to me and he says, uh, what do you think these are? And I, and I very poorly drawn penises, sir. And I was like, why are you showing them to me? I need an adult. Like that's where you should have went. Well, I kept calling it a packet of penises. I was like, it looks like a packet of penises. He's like, Peter picked a packet of penises, a pack of pack of penises. Peter Peter packed a pack of penises. How many pack of penises? Pickled Peters. What? Damn it. Whatever. You know what I was saying? So, it, but then it was just this thing. It was like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's a packet of penises. And I was like, well, <laughs> why are you showing it to me? He's like, whose name's on the top of all these pieces of paper? And I was like, my, you don't think I did this. <laughs> he's like, absolutely, you did it. It's all in the same lead. You, you clearly, and I was like, why would I? You signed it in blood, Stephen. We got the <laughs> DNA results hey. back. Point nine nine nine. I definitely wrote the name, but I don't think the penises, I didn't make a packet of penises. And then I just asked him about his daughter and she was a swimmer. 
And I was not, but I just pretended, pretended. to be. Just, yeah. And then, then I'd, I'd go out on my merry way. Instead of, uh, Steven's such a little scallywag. Get on out of here, you little Let's scamp. Just, that's how, that's how that ended. So let me finish telling you about my traffic stop. You want to know how that ended? Yeah, yeah, hit me. The cop was very nervous because I so aggressively told him how to do his job. He shakily took my ID, went back to the car. He was gone for a while, right? Actually, he wasn't gone for that long. And he comes back and he's looking confident now. And I'm like, oh, look at Officer Cockshore, right? Like, what has he got up his sleeve? <laughs> and he comes up and he says, ma'am, clearly you don't know, but your license is suspended. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. My license was suspended. So once again, I pulled out the white weapon. Mm. Ears. What? <laughs> Balling. I'm talking snot bubbles. Call my mama. Like it was a whole fucking show. You know what that cop did? Gave me my, my license back and sent me on my way. Said, don't tell anyone. You know what I did? I did not tell anyone. I went to my <laughs> dentist appointment. And right after that, I went to the DMV and I reinstated my license. It was like an oversight, like an unpaid parking ticket or some shit like that. And back in Virginia back then, they would suspend your license if you didn't pay a speed, uh, you know, a well, speeding okay. ticket for which I was also getting. Well, you know, you know what don't tell anybody means, right? Right. Oh, so I should only tell the couple of hundred of fans. Yeah, Got it. <laughs> you can only tell the people that are streaming at this exact moment that. But how that, excited are you for our guest today? I'm real pumped. Yeah, we've got here. Tell talk a little bit about who we've got coming. Okay. So actually, this whole thing has a very special, uh, sacred place in my heart. So I'm super stoked to have them on. Um, forget the fact of how honored I am. Um, and I just met one of the young ladies, Nancy Tepper, Tepper, T-E-P-P-R. Um, I 100% said temper before because, you know, that's hilarious also. Um, <laughs> but it's Tepper. I just met her and I'm sure she, so thus far, she's been absolutely wonderful. Um, and partnering with her today from Stand Up Girls is Holly Harper, who I also, I have a very deep love and affection for. She's one of my favorite humans. She tells me this about me all the time, but I never get to tell her how wonderful I think she is. Um, I stalk her online um, and I've just watched her grow. She's done so many amazing things in COVID. She was on Saturday Night Live, like so many amazing things this woman has done. And they are both from an organization uh, titled stand up girls okay and if you don't mind i'm going to read their mission because it's to me very profound um and then i can talk from there about what they do and what it means to me personally so stand up girls is a nonprofit organization whose core mission is to educate inspire and equip girls from underserved communities with the communication skills necessary to succeed and lead in male dominated workplaces through developing and performing stand up comedy our girls learn to own the room, be it in a courtroom, operating room, boardroom, or my personal favorite of the bedroom, but whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, honesty box, that last line is not a part of their mission. It is a part of my personal, <laughs> it's a part of my personal mission though. Um, but anyway, it's just such a beautiful thing that they do. I know from being a black woman growing up in just America in general, um, how difficult it is for people to hear you. And I'm not talking about listening to you. I'm not talking about observing the fact that you're talking. I'm talking about for people to listen, to see you, and to take in what you're saying. 
there, I cannot tell you, I really can't tell you how many times I was in a position where I was just expressing myself, right? Just really, literally just expressing myself. And that expression of my thought, my feeling, whatever it was in that moment was completely misconstrued, misunderstood, and then uh, weaponized and used against me, okay? Um, and this isn't a, a paranoia thing a, 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 or anything like that. And you see how I'm explaining? Do you see how I'm immediately explaining myself? Because we, women in general, um, more specifically black and brown women, we are very conditioned to watch how we speak and to mind our manners, okay? Um, oftentimes my passion, I'm a very, anyone that's ever seen the show or ever seen me perform anywhere can attest to the fact that I am extremely passionate about most things that I do, um, which causes what? For my voice to be heightened, my mannerisms to be animated, and all of those things, where in polite society, when you are darker skinned, black, brown, other, uh, that's seen as an act of aggression, right? Um, so what they do is they teach <coughs> young women how to own their power, you know, and I, I think one of the greatest vehicles we have on this planet is stand-up comedy. If I could tell you, if when I was a little kid, if I was walking down the street and you said, oh my God, you're so cute, hi, I would burst into tears. That's how shy I was, okay? Aww. So to be able to, for this group to get together and take underserved, at-risk young women and give them the tools, help them to learn this, when you build it on your own and stand-up, I'm telling you, there is nothing like taking your words, your story, and parlaying that into a conversation on stage, into jokes, and then getting an audience of all of these different ethnicities, cultures to laugh in unison at that thing. There's nothing like it. So that's what they do. Um, so in true nonprofits fashion, uh, Stephen and I, what we do is we workshop jokes or tell stories related to, in some form, uh, the, the nonprofit that we're working with. Today, as I mentioned, is Stand Up Girls. And I, I had a joke that I thought was brilliant. And it's not one I came up specifically for this, but it's so apropos. And it was a post, a joke that I posted. And there's this emoji, and you can see it. If you have an iPhone, for sure it's in there. I don't know about Android, but um, it's, a, it's a smiley face. And everything's there except the mouth. <laughs> the mouth is, is blank, right? So I posted that, that emoji and I said, oh my God, you guys, there's a new emoji just for women. <laughs> <laughs> because how apt is that? There's, there's so many people that would love if women, if we were just created with no mouth, right? And, and we were unable to um, you know, effectively communicate. But here's the thing most people don't know about women. We are so inventive. You take our mouths, take it. I could wake up tomorrow with a blank spot. I guarantee you, I would find a way to communicate all my shit <laughs> and you would feel me. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know what's there, but I think I can take that and build that into something really funny. You know what I mean? About how innovative women are, that even if you take, literally take our voices, you know, we, we'd send smoke signals. I'd wonder throw a new mouth on. I'd make a mouth out of my husband's penis. I don't know. I feel like there's... <laughs> <laughs> You'd make a mouth out of your husband's penis? I, I... Let me explain how I got there because I feel like... <laughs> I feel like women, we value the ability to communicate and men value their penis. <laughs> so 
So it would I be really, like, a, like a Greek mythology type trade situation. Almost, like, kind of. You know, More like, like I'm, I'm, I woke up with no mouth. Now you're going to wake up with no wiener. No, I don't know. I feel, <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? Maybe not my best work. Fine. Wait, what, what, it, what would that emoji like actually be used for? Oh, you know what? I, I don't know. It's a very creepy emoji. It's literally just a smooth spot. And then the rest of the smiley face uh, characteristics. Do you ever just, see there's uh, nothing? There's, nothing there's there. a show. There's a show. There's like a it's like a horror show where it's just a bunch of people in this like manner and they can't leave the manor. But but the people that die there, they stay there. Their spirits stay there. Right. But that's how they start like deteriorating as they lose their mouths and they lose their ability to talk to people. And there's this one, there's this one lady, she's a bad bitch and she murders people incessantly, but she has no mouth. And I feel like to your point, even ghost ladies are still figuring ways to communicate without mouths by just murking motherfuckers. I mean, (laughs) sometimes it may be the only way to get a point across, but (laughs) don't murder. Don't okay. Well, that's a but it is a communication method. But it is a tool. I mean, you got to use it in your toolbox, right? I feel that's like I feel like women ghosts are are often like the story of a women ghost or little girl ghost. Like very often, little girl ghosts, they're the ones that are are really they they have had their ability to speak taken away, and they're the ones that are really making a ruckus in the ghost world. I'm I'm gonna say just little children ghosts in general regardless of gender are what's the word I'm looking for a nightmare hellscape um they are so terrifying (laughs) my daughter used to sleepwalk okay and oh you have no idea how creepy it is so this is when she was a little little kid like from probably age two up until she was probably like 11 um and she I would wake up and she would literally be right here and (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I threw her to the floor. (laughs) Like, are her eyes open and she's staring at you? She's just, she's just there like this. Oh, oh my God. Even now, right right now, even now through the screen and I'm a full grown adult. Imagine a tiny person or even creepier. Like you think up close is creepy. No creepier is when she would just stand in my doorway, not moving like a statue and all you have to what you have to do you just have to kind of walk her back to her room you can't really you shouldn't really wake up a a sleepwalker so I would just walk her back to her room um sometimes I'd walk her to the bathroom and she would get her to go to the bathroom and lay her back down um but yeah creep so creepy maybe maybe there's something adjacent to that joke with the emoji thing and just like the amount of like emotion that that she was able to instill in you without e- without talking, without even knowing that she was it, operating. She was still able to instill to all sorts of emotion and communicate with you. That's literally- I definitely could use her. That would be, actually be a brilliant example, just her, my daughter in general, because I remember when she was little, I thought that she may um, need some sort of ther- speech therapy because she wasn't talking. But mm. then we would catch her talk. My friend says she hears her talking all the time, like to herself in her room. And I'm like, no, she doesn't. And then one day she just started speaking full, complete sentences. 
and never stopped. Like one day, literally, she was like one, almost one. And that was the other thing. My friend's like, well, she's not even really supposed to be talking yet. Like you're tripping, calm down. And I'm like, well, no, because all the kids in my family, they talk early. And she was like almost one. And I'll never forget. She was walking around the table, giving everyone a kiss, right? Imagine that now in COVID, but she was walking around giving everybody a kiss. And it was like me, my um, husband's ex, her mom, and another friend of ours were sitting around talking and she's, and then she comes to me, but I'm in the middle of a conversation and I ignore her because, you know, that's what parents do. And um, (laughs) she grabs my head, turns it towards her and goes, mommy, move your face forward. Those were her first words. Really? Oh, wow. Word of God, full, complete, you know, my daughter, full complete sentences out the gate. So maybe there's something funny with her, right? And women, you know, be having their voices muted and taken and then something, some, something empowering that I can write that I can make funny. I feel like there's something in there, right? I think so for sure. There's also like, and where my brain went was just like the idea of somebody like, practicing piano at home by themselves for a very long time. And then all of a sudden just showing up at a party and then they can just play piano. He's like, motherfucker, when did you learn piano? Right. And right. she's out here learning full sentence structure off the full clock. Full sentence structure. Yeah. Move your face forward. Like <laughs> I just learned how to conjugate that verb last week. No, I'm kidding. I don't even know if any of what I just said is applicable to that sentence, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Conjugates, um, conjugates good. It's just a word I like. Did you did you come up with anything? Yeah. So what I was what I was thinking of was more in the space of like comedy is such a valuable tool in just learning how to speak publicly, right? And I remember my public speaking was so bad that that's what finally got me into like finally was the thing that pushed me over the edge to be like, just go do this comedy shit. Right. So when I first got out of college, I lied on my resume, right. I just lied because all I had done was go to college. Nobody gives a fuck. Right. So they were just like, nobody would hire. So I was just like, I'm gonna just lie on this resume and just say, I can do a bunch of shit. And so then I got a job that I didn't deserve. We'll, we'll deal with the unpack the privilege. We're not even going to talk about you already. That's not what we're talking about at this moment. And so I got this job, (laughs) did not deserve it, was not qualified. I had just written on a piece of paper that I was. And so I moved to Minnesota to to get this job. And then I just started telling people I could do shit. And and so they would just give me these things. I would just try to figure them out. And uh, then after a year and a half of just saying I could do shit and them just giving it to me, um, I had to teach a course at MIT. And so I, I, all right, I'm sorry. I got to stop you there. Mm. Um, (laughs) I gotta, I'm going to, I'm almost willing to leave my opportunity here in LA, fly back to New York and beat the shit out of you. That is, (laughs) so please just, when someone, the next time you hear someone go, I, what is white privilege? You need to just tell that story. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it, it just becomes more and more like, I did nothing to deserve this. Right, right. right. Just tell people that I deserved it. Right. And so it, it was a, uh, a course that PhD students at MIT had paid for 
all dealing with, with high speed imagery. And so um, I used to, I used to be a consultant for automotive crash research. And so uh, I was in the industry. And so they asked my company like, Hey, we need one of your engineers to do a thing. All the engineers are like, nah. And I was like, I can do that shit. And they're like, he looks the part. And so <laughs> we believe it, him. the whole, the whole week was docked full of experts in their field. Right. And I was just like, sure, I'm an expert. I'm, I, I, I grew up in a, in a, like a, a generation of, of Instagram models and, and internet activists. Right. I'm just like, yeah, I'm an expert. I don't give a fuck. And so <laughs> they, I'm supposed to give it on high speed camera sensor technology. Right. And so all I did was copy and paste a bunch of shit that the engineers had put together for their own presentations and had just memorized all of the words. And so I, I, I just memorized it, memorized, memorized. And I just knew exactly what I was going to say for this whole 45 minute situation. And so they flew me out to Boston. I'm sitting in this penthouse and I'm like, I'm a fucking expert, dog. Let's do this. And so I had to teach this uh, lab afterwards, which is a small, intimate joint where I had to like teach them about the technology. And so on the first day, I'm supposed to be giving my, my lecture in the lecture hall right after lunch. And so the first guy that goes on in the morning is uh, was announced as the top scientist in the Air Force. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I'm not that much of an expert, but like, I'm sure the, the next guy I can probably shit on that dude. Right. Next guy, PhD in magnetics had been a PhD for 70 years in magnetics and gave a whole speech on it. And now I'm like starting to stress. I'm just like, I don't think I'm an expert at all. And so, uh, can you hear that car alarm? Maybe? It's okay. Yeah. And so, uh, I I'm sitting in the back and I'm starting to stress on it. And then, so I go into set up for my lab that I have afterwards. And I was just like, uh, um, you know, is my shit here? And they're like, no, it's at your hotel. And so it was the hottest day on record in June. And so I had to sprint across the MIT campus as fast as I could. And I was, I get to the hotel and I pick up 90 pounds of equipment, run back across the campus. I'm not sweating. Like water is spraying at like some anime shit. <laughs> like I'm just like spraying out of my face. And so I, and I run up the stairs. They don't have an elevator in the engineering department of fucking MIT in this spot. And so I run up the stairs and I throw my shit down as the guy is like, our next guy is an expert in high speed or high speed camera sensor technology. Please start round of applause for Stephen Campbell's. And, and so as I walk in, there's a whole round of applause, but you can hear my breathing over their round of applause. Like I'm so like, <gasps> like barely able. And so I'm like drenched and I'm just water. And, and so, and I, I plug the HDMI cable in. And, and electrocute I, yourself? No, okay. No, no, no. But I, but I plug it in and, and it just, the first thing says high speed camera sensor technology. And so I, I, I'm trying to catch my breath. I'm like, high speed camera sensor technology and i had only i had only memorized the things and now i'm shook and so i give i i go to the first slide and i say the things that i had memorized and everybody's hand goes up and and i remember the question so vividly it was but what do you do when you transfer the analog energy back into digital energy on the sensor everybody's hand goes down i still don't know the answer to the question and what I'm, did you say I, I said, I, I gave him some version of like, okay, well, what if I think I, I, oh, I think I answer that later, which I wasn't sure. Cause I'd only memorized. I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. It was just right. Like, actually, if you just be patient with me, 
I'm going to answer exactly that in just a bit. Well, that's what you would say if you had control of a room, but I did not. And I was just like, I think I, uh, I think I answer that later. And so I go through all the slides rapidly and I'm just staring at the presentation and just reading them off as best I can. And so every time I turn around, there's tons of hands up over 30 questions. I answered zero I said, I, that's ab- I said that's above my pay grade three different times. <laughs> I, said, I said, oh, that's, I think that's above my pay grade. At one time, I referred somebody in the audience to somebody else in the audience. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm pretty sure uh, he had a very similar question. Maybe you guys should talk <laughs> after this. You should research that later Yeah, ask an actual expert. That's I, how, so maybe that's your joke, is just how women can actually have all the accreditation and not get the opportunity to use their voice. And you, Bob from DeVry, first day <laughs> out, is like, yeah, I'm an expert in molecular structures and you're at MIT teaching a lecture. Like, that's hilarious. Well, and then think about like how many dudes like have- It's not hilarious, but- Sure, you know but for the, for the sake of this, it is. But think about how many dudes are just like balling, like have so much money. So many are are so stupid, like just so, so unable to unable to. But so it was a forty five minute presentation I was supposed to give. I finished it in about twelve minutes, and now I've got thirty <laughs> minutes of that. I, I'm just sitting there. I'm just like, okay, uh, thanks, thanks. And I try to walk off and the guy that had paid my company to have me be there, he's just standing there. He's like, no, you have 30 more minutes. And so I was like, okay. Uh, and so now we have Q and A. And so now, now anybody that has any other questions, everybody sees it. I'm not capable of answering any of the questions. And so one of the guys raises his hands and he's like, so how, how did you get this? And I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea why I'm here. This is probably my favorite Thing that's happened to a straight white man in, in recent times. Um, I I love you, Stephen. You're one of my absolute favorite people. But I also love that this happened to you. Like you, like I love that this happened. Like you learned early. You learned right out of college. Hey, don't oversell yourself. You got to underpromise and overdeliver. And what you did in that particular scenario um, is you overpromised. And you didn't underdeliver. You just didn't do that shit. Like you there was no delivery. No delivery was was taking place in in any way, shape, or form. You uh, just failed. Like that. I, the only thing that I wish had gone different is that I could have been in the audience. That's the only <laughs> thing I would like to be different in that story. I would love if I could have been sitting in the audience. Yeah, I um, really ate a dick, and then but then I had to give the lab that I had that I also was not prepared for. So now it's five people at a time that all saw that speech mm. coming in after lunch, five at a time. And, and we're just sitting there. And I'm just like, you, you, you guys, we, know, we all know what's happening here. We you guys want to study wanna amongst talk, yourselves. We you all know talk, like, about, talk about football. I know, <laughs> I know about football. Um, you, guys, you guys meet any sweet chicks or any, you guys got yeah, any, right. any hot, sweet chicks. We should bring our guests on. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think it's time. Cool. Bring, that was bring a very funny. I, I don't know how we flip that story to relate to what I think. Yeah. Well, the, okay. The way the way I I saw it relating was that there that 
comedy, it, comedy does add. It, it, so after that, we'll just finish up real quick. After that, I got shit face drunk in a bar and I was like, you need to get better at public speaking. And so that was finally like the push that was like, okay, go do comedy. Um, and it does add so much of a skill set that typical training, public speaking type mm-hmm. training just really doesn't offer. Um, and that was my very tangential connection between the two. I was actually, I was, I'm very surprised. I was actually a really good circle back. So yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, now we have to like ignore all the privilege that happens before. Cause I vomited like eight times during that story because it's so, but also, can I tell you something else really quick? I have used that same thing. <laughs> But I was also actually qualified to do the thing, but I had never done it before, but I just lied and said I had so I could get the opportunity. Mm. And then everything my boss would throw at me, I'm like, oh, I can totally do that. I know how to do that. Didn't know, but I'd figure it out and execute on it. I thankfully have not yet said I could do a thing and then was unable to do it. Um, That said, let's bring on some people that actually uh, do this thing like in real (laughs) life. Um, these ladies, like I said, this uh, nonprofit is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I don't know if it's official yet, but I, well, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say anything yet, but so I won't. I'll let Nancy and Holly um, speak for themselves. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Nancy Tepper and Holly Harper of Stand Up Girls. Stand Up Girls. Yes, queens. Welcome. Thank welcome, you. Welcome, so guys. Would you guys mind if you could please? Just um, whoever you would like to go first, but both introduce yourselves, what you do um, in your regular everyday life, and how you came to be a part of Stand Up Girls. Go ahead, Nancy. Okay, I'll take it. Um, Hi, everyone. I'm Nancy Tepper. I am the executive director of Stand Up Girls. I've been working with Stand Up Girls from the very inception, which means when it was just an idea. And um, we are now currently uh, running our program well, not currently because of COVID, but we have to date run our program in about 20 schools, uh, have had a number of girls participate and it's just been an overall success and a very exciting program for girls who really wanna find a voice for themselves, have a little performance time. The way that we structure Stand Up Girls is just they take a class for eight to 10 weeks and then they eventually showcase what they learned at an iconic uh, comedy club and it's been fantastic. So that's you know what I've been doing so far with Stand Up Girls. Very cool. Awesome. Holly, tell us about yourself. Uh, well, I am Holly Harper. Uh, I'm a comic and I'm a sketch comedian. I also do musical comedy and I got involved with stand-up girls about a year ago. Um, almost two years ago, I met one of the, uh, somebody on the board and I'm now currently on the board. I'm like, Hey, guess I proved myself. Guess I proved my worth. Um, but um, right away I started teaching a class and we got shut down because of COVID. And so we were like one of the first people to take it to zoom. And I was like, no, we're going to do a zoom show. Um, so that's my experience with them. But yeah, it's been a wonderful experience. It's been great. Um, you already know how much I love you guys. Um, I got the opportunity, Stephen, over this pandemic to be on a panel um, with you guys. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Because that was a fa- that was probably one of the one. It was so well organized. Um, 
everyone that was a part of the panel, they had amazing people. Judy uh, Gold, who's one of my mentors, she was on the panel. Marina Franklin was there. Um, Robin Montague, who literally was my mother's favorite comedian. My mom's passed wow. away now. Yeah, so when, the first time I got to meet Robin, I was just godsmacked. I was like, oh my God, do the, do the Diana Ross impression, please. Because <laughs> it was a really famous moment on, I think it was Def Comedy Jam where she did this Diana Ross impression. My mom just like went bananas for it. She was a part of that. Can you guys tell us a little bit about that panel and what that event was all about? So we were approached by a, um, a producer who was making a movie called All Joking Aside, which is going to be in theaters very soon. And it told the story of about a young um, black female comedian who struggled and eventually had this unusual friendship with an older white man who became her mentor. Um, it was a very heartwarming, loving film. And he was looking to partner with a nonprofit uh, that focused on stand-up. And he came to us and he asked us if we were interested in working together to do a tie-in. And we were we were very excited. It was a great opportunity. And we wanted to put together a panel to one, highlight what the movie was about. Secondly, to show our girls who've gone through the program. And lastly, where you were involved, Frankie and Holly, you as well, was to really just talk about the role that comedy has played in successful comedians' lives. And um, that was amazing what you did for us. And we really are so grateful to have had you representative of our organization. You better shut your face, Nancy. Get your face and shut it down. It was my absolute <laughs> honor. It was my honor and my pleasure to be a part. Um, Holly and I met through <clears throat> Joanna Briley. Um, if you don't know the name, seriously research her and get familiar because she is a woman. She is a black woman. She is a writer, a producer, a magician because she put together the very first ever Black Women in Comedy Festival in New York, in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. um, and was it 2018, Holly? Yes, it was 2018. Yeah. In 2018. Yeah. Uh, Wait a minute. No, that was 2019. 19. You're right. Oh, it feels like five years ago, but yeah. Every, I know. <laughs> in, 20, in 2019, um, and it was literally, and I, I've said this a million times, I'm going to say it again here. It was the event that changed my life and my career. Um, had it not been for that, that event, that specific event, I 100% would not be, and you're probably like, where are you now? I could go into it, but it's not about me, but I wouldn't be where I am right now. And I probably wouldn't have met Holly as soon as I did. Um, and she was just, every woman at that show was just a powerhouse, but Holly and a few other young ladies are ones that just really embraced me and just, I can't even explain the feeling. It was just warm and welcoming. And I can't even imagine how your spirit and, and Nancy's are empowering these young ladies to go forward and use their voice. Not, and, and here's the thing, with stand-up, it's more than just saying the words and using your voice we have this it's it's magic what we get to do on stage we have mm -hmm. this way we have this license to take any topic and yes i mean any throw don't try to comment or tell me, well that's off limits no i hate to break the news nothing is off limits um we have this magic where we get to take all the topics talk about all the stuff and a lot of times you the audience doesn't even know that we're feeding you soul food. You don't even know it. And so you get home later or you retell the joke to someone else 
And maybe it never hits you, but you may retell it or someone may look that person up and it's going to expand their life in a way that they never thought. And stand-up is responsible for that. So what you ladies are able to do with that and use it as a vehicle for empowerment, I wish someone had empowered me when I was a young lady. Um, Can you tell us about one of your, each of you, tell us about one of your personal favorite success stories? And you know, you can keep names anonymous if that, if you, if that's preferable, but we definitely sure. care. Sure. Well, well, for me, it was really interesting because I, I, let me just, first of all, let me agree with you, Frankie, like that, I, I'm getting like teared up because like that black women in comedy festival, it changed my life. Yeah. Like, it changed my life. I never forget. My husband was like, wow, you are really like, I, I was, I was there and then I had hosted one of the shows and then, like, there were times, like, over like a four-day weekend, I didn't even have to be there until, like, mm-hmm. hours later. I just wanted to be there. Like, mm-hmm. I just wanted to see every show and just to soak up the comedy from all these Black women. It was just like, oh, my God, this is the experience that I've never gotten before. I've mm-hmm. never gotten it. And to see it in motion with such uh, brilliancy and luminosity and the, the globes of people had, it was just, we felt it. Like, it was that energy and we really felt it. Uh, but with uh, stand-up girls, the, that energy, like, okay, so that's a Black Women in Comedy Festival energy. And so when I started teaching with stand-up girls, I was like, wow, okay, I'm teaching all these girls and we're going to be learning about stand-up. And honestly, it took almost like three sessions for the girls to even come out their shell because I had to convince them they were funny. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they're you know, because teenagers, girls are real confident until they're about nine, ten, and they hit puberty, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, you know." Mm-hmm. But girls are at eight, nine; they're brave. When girls are flat-chested, they could do anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? All of a sudden, the shape comes in, and they start feeling all self, you know, insecure. But the experience that I had with the girls, showing them that they were powerful and that their voices were powerful. And I taught them, to me, the most important thing is that comedy is a form of intelligence. Mm-hmm. It's a form of intelligence because, let me tell you something, how many times have you been in a pickle? Look at me, I sound like one of my aunt, been in a pickle mm-hmm. and your little mouth can work your way out. Yes. You know what oh, I mean? Like, yes. yes, your little mouth can work your way out. Or even like, you know, how many times you can tell a joke and you don't have to fight. Or even mm-hmm. verbally fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Verbally, physically, it, it eases your way through. It's an armor. Or get and a so, job. You know, making get a job. a job. I've done that many times. Yes. Can I, can I ask, so where are most of these girls coming from, both uh, ge- geographically and, like, where they're at in life? Like, where? They're all high school students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all high school. They're all, like, between 13 and 17. Right. Like, around right. there. Right. They ha- they're high school girls, so... Mm-hmm interesting because ninth graders get to uh, be at the class with 12th graders. So they're exper- they bounce their experiences off of each other. And our programs have been in Brooklyn. They've been in Manhattan and they've been in the Bronx. Okay. Yeah. We're looking to expand. So like anybody that has a school that thinks this program is appropriate for them, will come in there. It's turnkey. We bring, this is free to the school and we do everything. Mm, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you, one of the most that was really amazing about me coming in was that I, maybe I'm wrong, Nancy, but like before I came in, most of the girls I saw were black or Latino, you know, that were in Sam girls that were performing. And then when I was at, I was at Stuyvesant, which is mostly Asian and some white, you know what I mean? That's like the, the math school. (laughs) That's like the Matthew, Matthew science school. And some of the girls were 
um, there were Chinese, uh, Southeast Asian, South Asian. And I realized that within a lot of, you know, I don't want to speak for anybody's just culture, but it wasn't really, I mean, how many Southeast Asian comics have you seen women? Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, let's be real. They didn't know that they could even do that and have mm-hmm. a form of intelligence to put forth. Mm-hmm. So it was just really amazing to tap into that and to be able to show these girls like, no, your voice counts just as much mm-hmm. as anybody out there. Sure. What's one of your success stories, Holly? Uh, my success story was a girl named Veronica who honestly thought that she was just an egghead and she didn't have any, com- you know, any comedy to contribute. And then when I start, you know what it was? When I broke down the science mm-hmm. of building jokes, that's what got her. Mm. That's what got her. Kids, comedy is part of the STEM program. And I'm not even being funny okay. when I say that. It like, is. Com- yeah, we need to slide comedy on over there. Nancy, you want to give us one of your um, uh, favorite, um, you know the words I'm trying to say. I, I do. Success stories. Absolutely. So, so something that is so... Uh, very poignant in my heart that this program allowed a very um, wonderful young woman who had had been hiding her sexuality. She actually came out during her performance at the comic strip in front of her grandmother. Oh my God. I just got full body chills. Full body chills. The applause, the the sense of community. I mean, there were so many spectators from her school, her friends, some of the board's uh, friends were there. We were all just so grabbed by this moment of honesty and yeah. truth. And like, I just felt like she felt like a million dollars and a weight had been lifted off of her. And I, yeah. and she said it herself, so not even take, putting words into her mouth, but she basically said without stand-up girls, she would never have felt comfortable enough. Mm. To do this. So it just mm. gave her a voice. And you know, it took the elephant out of the room. Like comedy. Yeah. Yep. That's beautiful. And so you're, when you're teaching these courses, um, Mm -hmm. is there a difference? I don't know how to say it exactly. Uh, Very often, a lot of the comedy comes out of trauma, especially if somebody's funny at a young age, very often it comes because they've seen some hardship early, especially Mm -hmm. like if they can like relate to adults and stuff like that. Do when you are teaching these girls to write, does it differ when you are going from maybe a more like, when you're going from it, like maybe a a more like affluent area? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, cause I, when you're talking about, um, when you're talking about working with a more affluent school, like it seems to me, it would be harder to say it, to get, comedy out of a very um but don't confuse affluence with um you know dysfunctional home life that's true because those things are not mutually exclusive you know what i mean a a lot of times kids in and i'm sorry i'm I'm not speaking for you guys but just generally speaking children in affluent homes are suffering in ways we wouldn't even imagine you know, and that's not ever being heard because of who their parents are and the type of influence maybe they have. So, oh, yeah, I mean, I went to boarding school for high school. Like, mm-hmm. so like, I know, <laughs> like, okay. you know, I know, but I found that just in teaching what really helped the girls get out of that fear was to really break it down uh, in terms of science approaching jokes. 
because mm-hmm. I've taught sketch comedy writing and I've taught stand up. And to me, it's about format. And if you can give people a format, they can find themselves. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like if you could be like, this is, these are the types of jokes. Like some comedians are better with misdirects. Some comedians are better with overshooting. Some go left. Some are storytellers. Some are strictly observer, you know, ob- observing. Uh, I think that when you, when I laid it out, it, it wasn't a matter of how to be funny. They were like, oh, I can do that. Or, oh, I know that. So it helped demystify it for them. Mm, cool. That makes a lot of sense. You know, what I was going to say, because I definitely have been involved in more showcases than Holly, because I started earlier, um, there is a rawness to the comedy. These girls are, they really, they are looking for a place to express some of their challenges at a day-to-day, in their day-to-day life. So I feel what you're saying is true that their uh, their set is really about some of the difficulties that they're facing, and I think it's a uh, it's like gives them like a sense of relief to be able to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of the things that I before the pandemic I had kind of forgot the social utility that comedy has both for, on an audience standpoint and, and for myself, right? Like I got so, you know, whatever, January, I think I did 40 shows because I was like, I had the JFL audition. So it was just get it, get it as many times as you could. And I kind of lost sight of the social utility that comedy has. And so once we started doing these shows in the pandemic, we started receiving these emails of like, hey, this is the best night of our week because we were finally able to have some sort of levity amongst all of the craziness that 2020 has brought um do you find that a lot of these girls go continue with comedy afterwards and use it as that uh utility or are are a lot of them bringing that skill set into other uh whether professions or do they do a lot of them stay with comedy we can't actually answer that because we're only three years old sure we Hmm. don't know what's next for them but the hope is going back to our mission that they feel empowered to do whatever they want in their lives be it comedy or you know do something that's like more um corporate or whatever it is that they want to do you guys realize you you've started like almost this kind of like the very first if you think about it kind of sorority you know what i mean because they're going to graduate from like getting chills right now they're going to graduate from this you know, and whatever happens for us, the adults kind of that have been a part of this in our careers, I, I can't t- imagine in 10 years, a young a girl comes up to me like, hey, I was at a, the, the thing you did with stand-up girls. I'm going to help her with whatever she needs, right? Yeah. Sure. Gonna, you know what I mean? I'm, that, I'm just going to do that without even thinking. It's not even going to be a thought. So you've also created that to look forward to in four, five, six, 10 years. You know what I mean? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. Can I ask you both a question? What what would each of you say to your 16-year-old selves? If you could, you know what I mean? What would you say to your 16-year-old self? Here's a question I'm asking. I guess I'm asking. Like for me, I wasn't empowered at 16. I had no voice. I didn't know who I was. And there's so, I wish I could have sat down and talked to myself. What would you guys have said? Or were you super well-adjusted, you know, and already kind of standing in your power? Um, but what would you say or maybe do different at that age to your, for your younger self? Well, I got to admit, when I was uh, 15, I found Joan Rivers. 
Like I was 15 and I'll never forget. It was like Christmas and everyone's getting gifts. And all I wanted, I didn't care about anything else. All I wanted was her tape of her live at the Harris. Like that's all I wanted was Joan Rivers live at some casino was her concert tape. And I got it. And so what I would tell my 16 year old self is make your parents take you to a comedy club. Mm. Make them go see Joan. Make them go take you somewhere. But I wasn't strong enough to admit, like it wasn't for another 10 years that I even admitted to myself that I was a comedian. So mm. I would always listening to Joan and, and then I found all these other comedians. I found everybody else. But if I could talk to my 16 year old self, I would say, tell your mom and dad to take you to some comedy clubs. Yeah. I had, um, when I was growing up, we had to do a, what do you want to do? What do you, what do you want to do when you grow up type report? Okay. And I did comedian and my dad saw it sitting on the table as I was getting ready to go to school and he took it, threw it away. He's like, fuck no. Like, but, and so he's just like, he's like, he's like, you absolutely, you are not going to be. Um, and so, so go fucking do another report. He's like, I got school. He's like, you're not going to school and turning in that paper, go do another paper. Um, so it, it, it definitely See, was. I can be a molecular scientist and give lectures at MIT. I'm going to yeah. do that. <laughs> hey, hey. I, I tried that route. Didn't work. Um, but it, it, it is something similarly. I like, I never even went to a comedy club proper until I was like 22, 23. Mm. Um, and for such a long time, that was ingrained in my head that like, no, absolutely don't pursue comedy because there is, you know, it's not the safest. You can't route. Do that. Yeah. It's not for you. What about you, Nancy? What would you say to 16 year old, sweet, young, fresh faced little Nancy Tess? <laughs> back a couple of years. Um, I think what I would say is don't fear failure. It's more about the journey. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think that so much of my successes in life have been about having a sense of humor, uh, smiling, you know, just being like part of the process. And it doesn't matter what happens at the end. As long as you try something, you are so empowered by that. So that's what I would wish that I knew because I did not know that until I hit about 50. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that, you know, with women especially, we have, and men too, they're getting these external, external stories fed to us constantly, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, women were often told, you know, you got to, Make sure you make yourself small enough for everyone to feel comfortable. And dudes are always being told, make sure you fill up the entire room. And that's those two realities. There's more than that reality. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Gender, we should, we got to stop stapling gender to all of these things because one, that may not be, that's not the path that I ever wanted. You know, I never really wanted to be this traditional white picket. I never had, that was never my dream. I never wanted to be in corporate America and, I never wanted that, but I tried to force myself and kind of like push myself into that mold. Why? Because I grew up for the most part, I'm from New York originally, but, um, you know, I spent like my high school years in Virginia and Reston, you know, mm -hmm. in the richest County in the country. And all of my friends were doing that, going to college, meeting the right guy, getting married, have, you know, having 3.5 kids, buying a house. I never wanted that. Hence, I'm living in an apartment right now, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> Houses take work and money. Let's be real. True. What, what'd you yeah. say? Houses take work and money. Houses take work and money. You it's know what I mean? Work. 
and also, you know, there's a lot more that goes around that, but we can talk about that at another time. But I think that I love what you guys are doing. You're creating new stories for young ladies that are coming up in the world. I am so excited to see what happens in the next, like we were talking about five, 10 years, because I'm just thinking about this. Like, I cannot wait for that day that I'm coming out of someplace. Oh my God, you're my favorite comedian. I saw you at the whatever for stand-up girls. And I'm like, you did? Come with me, young lady. I'm going to make you a star. I mean, not really. Frankie, can I ask... Did you say come with me, young lady, because they told you that they were your favorite comedian or, or <laughs> flattery will get you everywhere. I don't even know what you said after that. <laughs> Who's to say, really, Stephen? Who's <laughs> you know what I mean? Am, do I love to hear wonderful things about myself? Yes, I do very much. It's Frankie, probably- <laughs> you're my favorite comedian. You may stop it. Stop. I, no, no, seriously. I told Frankie that she's my favorite. Didn't I tell you that, Frankie? Frankie is my favorite comedian. Like she really is. She really is. And I, and you know what, Holly? I I know she's telling the truth. It's so embarrassing when she says, "Like I just feel." Here's this. This is my damage. I, whenever you say that, Holly, and here we're gonna just be vulnerable for a minute. Okay. I always feel like I'm not genuinely good enough to be anyone's favorite comic. Ugh, that's so. I, it's so gross to say. I know how you feel. No, no, that's an honest feeling. That's an yeah. honest feeling. But I say this, I say you're my favorite comedian because I saw you with my own eyes and I felt it. I was in a room and I was just like, holy crap, she's got this spirit and this glow. And it was pure joy. So no, Frankie French is my favorite comedian. And also, I would much rather fuck with somebody that is having trouble grappling with somebody saying that they're your favorite than somebody that is so full of themselves, but also Mm. not that great. Because we all know know a lot of those people. Um, But, yo, I think that that's close to our time. It is. Um, But before we get out of here, can you guys tell us where we can find you? I need a few things from you. Where can we find you? Um, Individually, if you want people, if you want followers, where can we find stand-up girls? And how, number one, can people donate? How can they volunteer? How can they get involved? It's all on the website, standupgirlsnyc.org. If you want to program in your school, if you want to donate money, if you want to learn more about us, just check it out. Fantastic. Where can we find you, Holly, on Instagram? I'm on Instagram is hollyharper5. It's holly, H-O-L-L-I-E. So it's hollyharper5, and I'm hollyharper5 on Instagram and on Twitter. Where can we find standup girls on Instagram? Are you guys on the Insta? Because a lot of our fans won't go to the website, but they will go to Insta and then click the link, you know what I mean, in, in the bio to get to the website. So how can we find you on Instagram? Just under Stand Up Girls NYC. Stand Up Girls NYC. Ladies and gentlemen, Nancy Tepper, Holly Harper, two of the most wonderful humans with a beautiful program, Empowering Young Women. Like, Get out of my face. Girls <laughs> fantastic organization, but that's, Yo, my, I, that's right in my heart. I love it. I appreciate you guys so much and I appreciate you guys doing the show. Um, yeah. And everybody that's listening, uh, we just put everybody's Instagram information, the website, all that stuff in the chat bar. Uh, love you guys so much. This is nonprofits. We do this every Tuesday at 630. My name is Stephen Campbell. I'm Frankie French. Love you guys. Thank you. Peace. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you guys so much. Thank you guys.
You better I stop it, and, and I never know when we are not streaming. Thank you.